I grew up in Boston, and so uh, we like this weather. We like to call this summer, where I'm from. And uh, but I do want to tell you a story about when I was growing up. I grew up in Boston, as I as I mentioned. And uh, when I was seven, I was with uh, my dad in a CVS, and uh, we were there. We stopped by to get something, and so I got out. We got out of the car. I was holding my dad's hand as we were walking down the aisle, and something caught my eye, and I stopped. And it was, you know, the, the baseball card aisle. I was a big collector of baseball cards when I was a kid. And so I stopped there and I was looking at, um, at, at, at all these cards. And my dad kept walking. The store wasn't that big. But uh, he kept walking to pick up the thing that he, needed, he went to pick up. But what happens is, is that when I got done, I looked, think my, seeing my dad was right there and he was gone. And um, I'm like, oh, man, where, where did he go? So I look over in the next aisle and um, I knew my dad was wearing brown pants and a blue polo shirt. So I'm like, oh, there he is. So I saw a guy that was, you know, my, about my dad's height walking um, with a brown pants and a blue shirt. So I'm like, oh, there he is. So I just ran up to him. I didn't say anything. I just grabbed his hand, and we kept walking. Well, about 30 seconds later, I had this thing, like, my dad's hands felt, my dad is, a, is like a thin guy, so he has, like, thin hands, you know, but this guy's hands felt chubby. I'm like, why does my dad's hands feel so chubby? So I look up to ask him a question, and it's some guy I've never seen before in my life. Uh, and, and I'm like, and I stop, and I'm like, uh, and, and he looks at me, and, and he goes, well, I say, you're not my dad. And he looks at me and he goes, who are you? And I said, I'm the kid who's been holding your hand for the last 30 seconds. And, uh, and I'm like, man, I'm out of here. And soon, soon enough, I, I, my dad kind of turns the corner and I'm like, hey, how's it going? It's, no, forget about that guy. And um, it's kind of this awkward moment that I had at a very early age. But here, here's the thing. Um, is that my experience with the wrong person at, at CVS is the same thing that happens with couples uh, when they get married at times. And uh, it doesn't always happen, but it happens sometimes to couples, is that they see each other, they're holding hands, they're walking together for a little while, but then at some point in their relationship, they turn and look at each other, and here's what they say. They go, who are you? Like, what happened here? I mean, I thought that you were going to be, hold on, you thought I was going to be, and that you were going to be, and now we start to think, and here's what can happen sometimes. We start to think that somehow we married the wrong person. And what we need is a fresh start to actually find the right person to be with. Because if we stay with the wrong person, here's what's going to happen. We're going to miss out on our soulmate, that person that we were created to be with, that's the person that we were supposed to be with. And see, and if the marriage that we're in doesn't work out, well, it's because this person wasn't our soulmate. Because when you find your soulmate, everything tends to work out. You never argue. You never have conflict. Everything just works, right? Well, you see, the concept of the soulmate has been the subject of a lot of songs, the plot of a lot of different movies. But here, and, and the idea is this, is that, I mean, it's a beautiful notion that there's a perfect person out there for everyone, and it is a beautiful idea. But the, here's the one problem it has. It's not true. Everything else about it is nice. It just happens to not be true. And I want you to think about this for a moment, because I, I tend to analyze things. It's just the way that I am. But I want to just, if we can just kind of walk this for a little bit, here's, kind of, here's how it works, is that, it's just a kind of an odd thing, but if like if everybody has the soulmate, right, this perfect person that they're supposed to be with. Now, imagine like what happens now? What happens now is, is that you, you, you wake up. I mean, you, you know, you, you, you decide you're going to be with someone, right? You, you're ready. And then the, but the person that you're with isn't the right person, because here's what happens. If you marry the wrong person, then the person that you were supposed to be with, they marry the wrong person. And the person that that person was supposed to be with, they have to marry the wrong person. 
And then the person that that person was supposed to be with, they end up with the wrong person. So you can see how that works. It's like one person marries the wrong person. It kind of ruins it for everybody. And nobody finds the right person that they're supposed to be with. And so that's why, listen, it's a nice thought, but the system just doesn't work. Now, here's the truth. Now, the truth is not as romantic. The truth is not so, you know, wonderful. But the truth is this, is that great marriages work it out. The great marriages work hard to make it work. You see, that truth, see, it's not, it's a little harder to swallow and it's, you know, it's, but here's what it does, is that it causes us to live in reality, causes us to get real with our relationships, and it causes us to deal with our issues. Because, listen, the day that we let go of this idea that the person that I'm with isn't the right person, but there is a person out there who's the perfect person, is the day that we'll start working on the marriage that we have instead of thinking that some other relationship with someone else is going to be our ticket to happiness. Because the truth is, is that great marriages work to make it work. They choose to make it work. If you weren't here last week, uh, one of the things that we said last week was that, um, that, that falling in love is easy. In fact, this is what we said. We said this. We said, here's the one thing that it takes to fall in love. You may want to write this down as you can get it. Uh, the one thing that it takes to fall in love, check it out, a pulse. That's it. That's all it takes to get married is a pulse. If you are alive, you have the ability to fall in love. In fact, that's why you have the ability to even fall in love with people you don't know. You just see somebody on TV like, I love him. I love her. And now you're in love and now you're part of Team Edward or Team, who was the other guy? Team Jacob, thank you. I, I'm not. I was a Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan, not the other. Uh, sorry, uh, sorry, sorry. Okay, relax. Um, <laughs> so many vampire fans amongst us. It, uh, it's a little scary. Thank you. Um, but here's the thing: uh, falling in love is easy. See, it's staying in love that takes work. It's staying in love that takes a plan. And that's why we've been saying that happily ever after is possible. But listen, nobody ever said it was going to be easy. Happily ever after is possible if we're willing to work at it and make it work. Because the story that we're going to look at this morning, the guy that we're going to focus on in his marriage, this guy literally did marry the wrong person. Like literally, like who are you? What happened here? And it's like, how how could he have possibly married the wrong person? And here's the deal is that we would all agree that he married the wrong person. But here's the thing that happens. What happens is what we're going to focus on is three reasons why we think we've married the wrong person. But then when we get to the end, and it's going to be like the big aha moment. We're going to, he's going to realize that the person that God brought into his life was the right person all along. So I'm going to have you open to the book of Genesis, chapter 29. That's where we're going to be. And uh, if you have your notes, keep those handy. If you have the pen that we gave you, keep that handy. And if you have your Bible, open it to Genesis 29, because that's where we're going to begin. We're going to start in verse 15. And it says this. It says, and then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my relative, should you serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. And Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Now, Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, is it better that I should... Uh, it's better that I should give you, her to you than I should give her to another man, so stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed like only, only a few days to him because of the love which he had for her. And then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go into her. It's like, 
First of all, I don't know why you would say that to some to your future father in law. He was like, hey, buddy, relax. It's all going to happen, but I need you to relax. Um, but he says, all right. It says, and Laban gathered together all the men of the place uh, and made a feast. And it says, and now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob. And he went into her. And Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. And so it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this that you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? And why is it that you have deceived me? And Laban said, it is not to be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention. As we look at this story, we're going to look at three things as to why we believe we feel like we've married the wrong person in the same way Jacob thought he had married the wrong person. But here's number one as to why we think we married the wrong person. If you're taking notes, it's because we have conflict that isn't resolved. We have conflict that isn't resolved. Now, let me just share something with you. Um, I told you last week that my wife and I just celebrated 13 years of marriage. And, um, but I want to share this. I think we've learned a few things in 13 years. But here's one of the things that I want to share with you that will save you years of pain and years of hurt. And here's what it is. Ready? They want to write this down. Marriage does not solve problems. Marriage only reveals problems. Marriage does not solve problems. Marriage only reveals problems. That's why people who say, oh, no, 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 see, everything is going to get better once we're married. People end up regretting saying those words because they realize that, well, getting married isn't what solved the problem. Because marriage only revealed the problem. Why? Because that's what marriage does. You see, that if you lived alone, if you decided, I'm never getting married, I'm just going to live alone, here, here's what you'd find. What you'd find is if you live alone, you don't argue with yourself. You just tend to go along with whatever you say. And that's just the way it is. You see, couples have conflict. Not like singles. They don't have conflict, you know, by themselves. And, that, and, and, and that's, you know, it's one of the reasons why I know that God has like this amazing sense of humor. Because here's what he does. He puts people that are complete opposites together. And it's like, you know, I think he doesn't just like, oh, we're going to see how this happens. Let's see how this works out. This is going to be hilarious. And, uh, and I'm telling you, that's why, I mean, if you're married here, here's what I know. Maybe you're like the spender. You know, you're kind of loose with money. I can promise you this. You married a complete tightwad. You know, a guy that like won't buy a soda. You know, like, oh, that's too expensive. 75 cents. You kidding me? I'm buying a Costco for 20. You know, um, you married that guy. You know, uh, there, there's one of you is like, a, you, if you're like a total neat freak, you married somebody that has never, ever put clothes in a hamper in his entire li- in his or her entire life. It's like, he misses, there it's clothes, but it's not, and it's just, well, why is that? Well, when it comes to sex, one of you is like, drop everything. The other one of you is like, drop dead, you know. Uh, there's, there, there's, I'm telling you, there's, 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 there's total difference, you know. Um, you know, the famous book, right, the one that everybody's read is, you know, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Listen, after being married for a long time, I've realized I don't even know if we're in the same galaxy anymore uh, because we're just so different. We're so different. Uh, my wife and I are as different as can be. Our backgrounds are completely different. Uh, my wife is half uh, Native American and half uh, Eastern European. Um, my family is Cuban, which means my family is completely insane. Um, and... Uh, and, and, and now that might not sound like a big deal. That might not sound like a big deal. But when we got married, there were these two different cultures that clashed together. And so there were things that we thought would happen a certain way. Like when my wife, my wife, my wife's family, when they want to come over, uh, they, when they want to come over to our house, you know what they do? They, they call and make an appointment 
They're like, hello, we would like to see you. Uh, do you have any? Uh, I'm telling you, do you have any time available? And, you know, I mean, it's like, uh, yes, we do. I mean, of course, you have to fill out the appropriate paperwork, but we've got some time between here and here. Oh, great. You know, when my family wants to come see me, you know what they do? They go like this. Oh, hey! You know, and it's like, and now it's like, what in the world just happened? And it's like, I want to see you. Oh, well, I'm, I wasn't awake. Well, get up. And then they come in, and you know what they do? They go like this. You know, you're not even going to offer me some coffee? You know, like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize that the, the clothes sign was still up. No, we're open for business. Um, and, and so and, and there's this whole thing, right? My wife's family comes over for dinner, right? And this is amazing. Like, afterwards, my wife writes them a thank you card. And she's like, Bob, would you like to sign the thank you card? I'm like, no. They ate a steak at my house. They should be writing me a thank you card. If I write them anything, it's going to be an invoice. That's it. You know, and uh, and I'm telling you, it's not like it's 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 not like one is wrong. One is right and the other is wrong. It's just a difference of opinion. It's a different worldview. That's all that it is. And here's the thing is that when it when you have conflict, that's unresolved. You know, that's when we start to feel like because, man, we're just too different. That's why we that's why we just we're not right for each other. We're just too different. And it's not because, listen, no one wants to live in a constant state of tension. But it, when it really, when you start, when you're able to laugh about it, and you're like, wow, we really are different. That's amazing. You actually think that. You actually think you write a note to your family. That's hilarious. And she's like, you know, your family's completely insane, and that's kind of funny too. And, uh, and I'm telling you, just the fact that that changes your perspective. Now, why? Because nobody wants to live in a constant state of tension. You see, now let me give you a little bit of the background that leads up to the story that we just read of, Jacob waking up and it's the wrong person. He literally married the wrong person. Um, now, I think most of us would agree that this story that we just read, he gets married and the person that he ends up, you know, like marrying is not actually the one he wanted to marry, but it's who we thought was going to be his sister-in-law. I mean, it's something worthy of an entire episode of Jerry Springer. I think we'd all agree with that. Um, because, you know, next on Springer. I'm telling you, it'd be like, it's, it's a great episode, I think. But here's what you've got to understand. Jacob is coming out of a very dysfunctional family situation. And his hope is this. I just want a normal family life. I just want a normal family life. And here's what it is, is that Jacob is a, is a twin and not a, a, an identical twin, but he has a twin brother named Esau. And Esau is um, they're as different as can be, Jacob and Esau. And so throughout their whole life, there's like this sibling rivalry that happens. And what the Bible tells us, um, and you can read it in Genesis 26, 27 and 28, is that um, the Bible tells us this, is that uh, their parent, Jacob and Esau's dad, whose name is Isaac, he favors Esau. Like, you know, because the Bible says this, and it's so interesting. Uh, when he sees him, he says, ah, this is the smell of my son. Like, he likes his son's smell because it's the smell of the outdoors. Like, I don't know who actually, like, is that a scent you can buy? Like, outdoors? You know, I don't know. The woods? That's like, oh, that's a scent I'm looking for. I don't know if they sell that at Macy's. But, um, so he's got this outdoorsy smell. But here's the, the, here's the reason why him and his dad clicked a little bit more. His dad, uh, Esau, was the hunter. Esau was the guy that went out and, like, you know, would, would find an animal and kill it and then bring it back and then serve it up like steaks and all that. And that was, like, what his dad was into, you know, and that, that's what his dad wanted, wanted him to do. Whereas J- Esau was the great outdoorsman, the Bible says that Jacob was, in, was a dweller of tents. He was the great indoorsman. You know, he's the kind of guy that the Bible says he kind of like favored his mom, his mom favored him. And so while Esau was out, you know, hunting game and, and all of that, he was like, you know, hanging out inside, cooking popcorn, watching a chick flick with his mom. That's what he was doing. And so there was like a little bit of this tension between the two. 
And, um, and, and so throughout this whole thing, there was this, this tension, right, between Esau and Jacob. Now, you say, well, why is it that they have these names? Now, Esau is a name that means, uh, it means red or it can also be translated hairy. Uh, because when he was born, he was red and hairy. That's what the Bible says. And they say, well, what are you going to call him? Let's call him Red and Harry. That's what Esau means. It's, it's not much creativity. I don't know if you know this. There's actually a picture that has survived through the ages of what Esau looked like. Red and Harry. I'm going to give it to you right now. There he is. Um, red and Harry Esau. That's him. Um, now, Jacob, Jacob, on the other hand, um, his name means this. His name means heel catcher. Because when he was born, this is very important to the story. When he was born, um, and he, as mom was giving birth to him, Esau was coming out first. But the hand of Jacob came out and grabbed the heel of his brother Esau. And they said, look at this one. He's a heel catcher. And that's what the name Jacob means. It means heel catcher. But because Jacob tended to be a bit deceptive, um, he, the name Jacob came also to mean deceiver. And so now, here's what happens. Is that Jacob, true to his name, concocts this whole plan. And his desire is to steal the birthright and the blessing that is his brother's being the older brother. Now, what that means is, is that um, the, the birthright and the blessing was basically like the spiritual and physical family inheritance. Through this whole series of circumstances, he steals it from his brother. Now, the thing that's important to note, Esau, older brother, Jacob, younger brother, Leah, older sister, Rachel, younger sister. Marriages in that culture were arranged. And that's why after he steals, uh, after Jacob steals the blessing from Esau, Jacob's mom sends him away, sends him away to the house of Laban, which is her brother, to say, I want you to go find a wife from there because it's already been arranged. Now, the thing that's important to, to note is, is that um, what Jewish scholars teach is that Esau was supposed to marry Leah and Jacob was supposed to marry Rachel. That had already been decided. And so what happens is, is that now when Jacob cheats his brother out of the birthright and the blessing, he now takes the place of Esau. And so now it's only natural that he would marry Leah. But he doesn't want that. He wants to take what is actually his brother's, but then still be in the place where he marries the one that, that he wants. Now, this is very, very important because Jacob now, all he wants is a normal family, thinking that marriage is going to solve all of his problems and the whole life that he left behind. But then what happens is this, is that he wakes up and realizes, you're not the person that I thought I was marrying. And listen, what happened to Jacob literally is what sometimes happens to us emotionally as we start thinking, no, the person that I married somehow has changed, somehow has become different. And listen, what happened to Jacob is what happens with so many couples. They get into marriage thinking it's going to solve all of their problems. And my friends, it's just not the case because, as I mentioned, marriage doesn't solve problems. It reveals problems. And just because you have conflict doesn't mean that you've married the wrong person. Instead, the thing that's important to note is, is that the fact that you have conflict with another person, all that means is this, is that you're human and that you married another person who's human. And conflict is a natural byproduct of two people trying somehow to live in harmony together. So the key is this, is not to say if I have conflict, it means that I'm not married to the right person. Instead, it means this. It means that if we have conflict, God is going to use that conflict in our lives to transform us into the people that he calls us to be. But here's what we need to do is if we're going to have conflict, which every couple does, we need to learn how to fight fair. Now, let me give you some some what I believe are some important ground rules if you're going to have uh, if you're going to have conflict. You may want to write these down. Uh, they're not in your notes, but just jot them down somewhere. But that is this. You use, you, you know. 
This is the thing that in our home, my wife and I, as I mentioned, we've married for 13 years. And here's one of the ground rules that we laid out in our home. And that is that under no circumstances will we raise our voices. There's no yelling in our home. I mean, I grew up in a home where, you know, you yell at each other to tell you that each other you love, you know, we love you. That's why I'm screaming at you. Um, but, but uh, you know, we said there's no, no, raising, uh, uh, no raising of voices. Um, we also, you want to avoid words like always and never. Well, see, you're always late. And see, you never do what I ask you. You see, can I just say this? No one is that consistent. I mean, no one, like, always disappoints. I mean, even, like, on Christmas or, you know, that's why. It, but see, when you do, when you say, well, always or never, well, now you're just putting someone in a corner where they're just bound to fight back. See, terms like, you're just like your, oh, that's not a good one. Um, now, here's, here's, now, in terms of, our best bet is to speak in terms of what we have observed. Now, if you say this, instead of saying, you know what you do, you say, now, can I just share with you how this looks from my perspective? Well, you see how that has now changed. Now you haven't accused someone of anything. Instead, you're saying, I may be wrong, but this is what it looks like from where I stand. It's very, very different. Or something like this. Um, you know, can, now, with this thing that's happened, can you understand how that makes me feel? Now, here's what I know is that you hear that. And if you're a guy, you're like, oh, boy, now he's going to get into the whole, like, feelings. And now I'm going to have to cry. No, no, no. But here, here's what I, next week we're going to talk about communication. But here's the thing that's really important for us to note. I think most guys would agree that when it comes to expressing feelings and emotions, girls probably have a leg up on us than, um, th- th- than guys. But here's the thing that's important to note, is that if we're having conflict, if, and I know this is, I'm not saying this is easy, I'm saying it's difficult, but if we learn to do it, it will diffuse conflict and get our point across better than any other way. But if we'll do this, if we say, now here, here's the thing that's important to know, is that, do you, like, see, this happened. Do you understand how this, there's a way that this makes me feel. You see, when you say that, you know what you're doing? You're communicating in a language that your spouse totally understands. See, well, now when you say that, see, the, the way that this made me feel, oh. You see, because the wife understands the language of feeling and emotion maybe a little bit better than we do as guys. But when you communicate on that level, now you're able to kind of cut between some of the stuff that like, is able to be misunderstood. And as you share with them that, they're like, OK, now I get it. And now we're able to, 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 to do this. Now, here, let me just share with you. I put this verse in your outline. This is one of the first verses that my wife and I memorized when we got married. And here's what it says. It says, so then, my beloved brethren, let each one, uh, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. That is a great formula for preventing conflict or handling it in a way that honors God. Because the thing that you have to understand is this, and we have to know this. That is, that when one of us wins, when only one of us wins, we both lose. Why? Because we're on the same team. And our goal is not just to win the argument. Our goal is to come up with a resolution to the conflict because when we come up with resolution as opposed to winning the argument, it builds trust in our relationship. And listen, here's what I know is that when if, if you talk to somebody later and you're like, hey, what did you do yesterday? Oh, I went to church and uh, the pastor was talking about the fact that couples have conflict and how to resolve it. And then the person says, yeah, me and my wife, we never have conflict. We never fight. Listen, couples that say they don't have conflict and they don't fight, they lie about other things, too. All right. Just that's just a little I share that with you. But listen, God uses conflict. You say, well, well, how how is it that I? why do we have conflict? Listen, God uses conflict in our lives. Listen, for us to depend on him more, for us to draw closer to, to our spouse than, than we ever had. 
and because it helps us grow into the people that he wants us to be. But what happens with Jacob? He wakes up with the wrong person. Look at what it says in verse 26 as we continue the story. It says this. It says, it must not be done in our country for, it, for it to give the younger before the firstborn. And then Laban says this. He says, fulfill her week and we will give you this one also for the service which you will serve with me still another seven years. And so Jacob did so and he fulfilled her week, that is the seven years, and he gave him his daughter Rachel as wife also. And Laban also gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a maid. And then Jacob also went into Rachel and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban still another seven years. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention here, here's the second thing we have to note when it comes to. Uh, when it comes to why we have feel like we've married the wrong person. Number one, we said that we have conflict that isn't resolved. Number two is we have expectations that aren't met. We have expectations that aren't met. I'm telling you, some disagree with me, but I will tell you this, that I believe the worst thing that can happen to a couple is, is their wedding day. You say, what? How can you steer a pastor? How can you say that? Their wedding day is the most beautiful day in the history of their lives. Yes, and that is part of the problem. Why? Because you are never going to look as good as you did on the day you, as on the day you got married. I don't know if you've seen your pictures. You look beautiful. I mean, we all, we all do. I mean, I don't know what it is. And I, let me tell you something. I have officiated a lot of weddings. I've been a pastor for a long time. I've officiated a lot of wedding ceremonies, and I have never once seen an ugly bride. I've never once. I mean, every bride I've ever seen is just stunningly beautiful. And yet, I've seen a lot of ugly wives in my life. And you say, well, how is that possible? Why? And people say, well, how is it? And I say, I think God works a miracle. I think that God is able to transform, uh, you know, a, a, a woman into the most beautiful woman in the world on her wedding day. I think five hours of hair and makeup also helps. Um, but I'm telling you, something happens and Joan Rivers turns into Beyonce. And I don't know how that happens in, on her on her wedding day, but it does. I mean, my wife and I were in Disney about a month ago. Uh, it was my daughter's third birthday. So we went up there and we were staying on one of the Disney properties. And we had rented one of these those little boats you can rent. So you're kind of like driving around. And um, so we're, we're driving around and we see this. Uh, there's this open field, like from where you're able to, to drive around on the boat. And there's this open field. And uh, we see, you know, this this wedding processional beginning. And so, you know, my wife and I are there and my three year old daughter and our, and our, our seven month old son. And we're talking to her because my daughter's starting to understand, like, the whole marriage thing. She's kind of starting to figure all that out. So we're explaining to her, like, you see that girl dressed in that beautiful white dress? She's going to marry the guy dressed in that tuxedo. And she's like, wow, this is so nice. And I mean, we saw this girl and she was stunning. I mean, she was beautiful. And, and, and my daughter was saying, wow, she's so pretty. She's beautiful. She's like a princess. And so we're kind of talking about this. And, I, and my wife and I are just saying, like, wow, she's really beautiful on her wedding day. And so they were staying in the same hotel that we were staying at, uh, at, at Disney. And then, but here's the interesting thing. We saw her the next day. And I saw her, and I'm like, Carrie, she's hideous. Uh, and, I'm, and, she's, I'm like, and she's like, well, you know, I mean, my wife is a little nicer than I am. And uh, I was like, well, and I'm like, you know what? It was the miracle. God did it again. He just transformed her into something. And then the next, because you saw her that day, and I'm like, man, this guy married up. How in the world he talked her into marrying him? I have no idea. Um, and then the next day, you're like, oh, now I understand why. Um, but then, but I'm telling you, it happens with guys too. I'm telling you, your husband, the best he's ever looked is on your wedding. He got the tux, he got a haircut, he shaved for once, 
right? I mean, it's like he looks good. And you're, you walk down the aisle and you saw him and you're like, I am marrying Brad Pitt. And somehow six months later, you look at him and I'm like, Brad Pitt, I married armpit. Um, because this guy won't even wear pants anymore. What happened here? And, uh, and, and I'm telling you, something happened. Something happened. And, uh, but we all go into marriage with expectations. We all go into marriage with expectations. You go into marriage, like, here's what guys do. Like, guys don't talk about this. But guys are like, they have, we have an expectation of what our wife will wear to bed. Right? And it's, it's something involving, like, a Victoria's Secret catalog as to what she's going to wear to bed. And that, that's the expectation. Now, a wife has an expectation that's like, you know, I can wear a baggy shirt, a pair of sweatpants, and some Sylvester the Cat slippers, and he'll just love me for who I am. And the husband's thinking, I'll love you for who you are, but you're going to have to change. Uh, you know, and, 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 but see, and this is the part that's interesting. The part that's so interesting to me is that we all have expectations, but we never talk about the expectations. And so the ex- now, when you don't meet my expectations, we start thinking that we married the wrong person because that person should know what it is that I want and they should do what it is that I want. And if you don't do what I want and if I don't do what you want, then apparently we've, we've married the wrong person. And because we don't talk about the expectations, it begins to create conflict in the marriage. Jacob has this expectation. He's marrying the beautiful Rachel and he ends up with Leah. Now, here's the thing that's so interesting in the passage that we read before is that it says that uh, Leah had delicate eyes. Now, um, in another translation, it says that she has weak eyes. But in total contrast, Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Now, this term that she has weak eyes is like a Hebrew idiom. um, And and the the Hebrew phrase, it's kind of like a very nice way of saying that when you looked at Leah, your eyes began to hurt. Uh, because she was not attractive. So, I mean, but in contrast, Rachel was beautiful. So it's like somebody looks at Leah and you're like, oh, man, I can't. I'm going to go blind if I keep looking at her. It hurts so much. Um, and, and so and now this is the thing that's happening. Right. But and so Jacob, and you say, well, how in the world could he have married the wrong person? Like, how does that happen? You got to understand that in that culture, in the Middle East, and even in, in, in some pockets of the Middle East, this is still practice that when uh, a couple gets married, they would go they would go into a tent called the hoopah. In, in Hebrew, they would go into this tent and then the, the, the woman would be in a, in, a, um, in a veil. She'd be covered completely. So, I mean, you would have no idea who's that you hope it's your wife to be that's under this, this veil. Uh, and then she's wearing this, this, this big garment. And so then you would then you after you got married, you would go into the wedding chamber and consummate your marriage. But what would happen is, is that so that's what happens with Jacob. He's, he's marrying this person. He's saying his vows. And then, but he has no idea who it is. He goes into, you know, that evening, they have this big party. He goes into the wedding chamber now to consummate his marriage. And then he wakes up thinking it's Rachel, beautiful in form and appearance. And he wakes up and he goes, Leah, weak eyes. What are you doing here? And he's like, oh, no, we have a, we got a mix up. I ordered a different one. I ordered a different sister and somehow FedEx sent me the wrong package. Uh, something happened here. This is wrong. And now he starts freaking out. And now it's the thing that we mentioned before. It's that he says, oh, you know, he says, why have you deceived me? Isn't that an interesting phrase that he would use, especially when Jacob's name came to mean deceiver? Why have you Jacobed me? Is basically what he's saying. He says, oh, see, that's how it works. The older sister is the one that's supposed to be married first. But you know what happens? He marries Leah, says that's not the right person. And then he marries Rachel. But, you know, they go into their marriage relationship with expectations. Leah wants to be loved by her husband. So she starts having children, thinking that now if I have children, my husband will love me. Rachel, it's gonna, we're going to read this in just a moment. Rachel's unable to have children. 
And as she's unable to have children, now she says, if you read, if you keep reading in chapter 30, it says and says, and then Rachel went to Jacob and she said, give me children or I will die. And Jacob says, who am I in the place of God to give children? Like, that's something that God does. I can't do that. And now he, she places her expectation on him. Leah places her expectation on him. He places his expectation on both of them. And then what happens is because Leah, uh, Rachel can't have children, she takes her handmaiden, Bilhah, and says, I want you to sleep with her. And now she'll have a child and then I will raise it. And it's like I have children. And so Jacob does. And she gets pregnant and has a child. Well, then Leah sees that not to be outdone and says, I'm going to give you my handmaiden, Zilpah, and I want you to sleep with her. And then uh, you're going to have a child and then I'll have all these other kids. And so now guess what happens through this whole series of circumstances? Jacob, thinking he's marrying one person, ends up marrying four. Four wives. You think you have a problem with one. Imagine having an argument with your spouse and it's four against one. You don't stand a chance. Did you? Did you? Did you? Did you? All right, I'll do it. I'll do it. You know, I'm telling you, it's just the way, the way it goes. And so there's all of this expectation between all of them because all of them are seeking to be loved and all of them are saying, we're supposed to, this is supposed to work for us and it's not working. Because there's somehow... I married the wrong person because there's expectations I have and they're not met. And so he goes to the next relationship, to the next relationship, to the next relationship, hoping that that's going to be the thing that meets the need that he has. The Bible tells us this in your notes in Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. It says the Lord is acting as a witness between you and the wife of your youth because you've broken faith with her, because she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the Lord made them one in flesh and spirit? They are his. And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. Couples, can I share this with you? So important. The relationship that you're dreaming of is not with someone else. You say, oh, but I, I, there's this, we're going to just this perfect match. Listen, the, the relationship that you're dreaming of is not with someone else. You can have that relationship with the person that you're with if you're willing to do four things. It's not, it's an, I don't have one, two, three, four. You just jot them down somewhere, maybe on the back of your notes. I'm going to give you the four things that it takes to actually build that with your current spouse. It's going to take these four things. Courage, patience, forgiveness, and commitment. Courage, patience, forgiveness, and commitment. Courage to confront the issues that we, by nature, want to run away from. Most of us don't desire conflict in our lives. Instead, what most of us do is we try to sidestep con- uh, conflict. And instead, here's what we need to do. We need to confront the issues because running away has never solved problems. It takes patience to realize that change doesn't happen overnight. You see, maybe you hear this message and and, and you turn to your husband, turn to your wife. and You say, you know what, maybe we're going to go out to lunch and talk about some of the conflict that we're having and figure out how to how to how to fix this. Can I just tell you that you have the conversation today? Everything isn't going to be fixed by Friday. But it's going to take some time to see the results once you begin to confront the issues. It takes forgiveness. It takes forgiveness because it's never going to work out if you keep holding on to all the hurt. Because you can't build a future if you're still living in the past of all the things that had happened. And then it takes commitment. A commitment to do whatever it takes. Because if you don't commit to doing whatever it takes, it's never going to work. Listen, the relationship that you want, the one that you're dreaming of, the one that you're hoping for, is possible with the person that you're with as long as you're willing to do the work that it takes to make it happen. Because, listen, happily ever after is possible. 
But nobody ever said it would be easy. It's going to take work to make the relationship work. Now, I want to read you a couple of verses that end this story in Genesis 29, starting in verse 31. Let me read it to you. It says, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And so Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, the Lord has surely looked upon my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. And then she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, now I will praise the Lord. And therefore, she called his name Judah. And then she stopped bearing. And if you pause there and give me your attention, the first thing that we noted was that you feel like you've married the wrong person because, number one, we have conflict that isn't resolved. Number two, because we have expectations that aren't met. And number three, I think most importantly, is because we have underestimated God's blessing. We've underestimated it. Here's what I mean. Jacob spent his whole life looking for someone else instead of the wife that he had. And here's what it created. It did not create blessing in his life. He kept looking for someone else and it created problems and difficulties and arguments and sibling rivalry in his life. The very thing he was trying to get away from. But here's the thing that I want to do. I want to fast forward you to the very end of Jacob's life. After Leah has passed away and Rachel has passed away and Zilpah has passed away and Bilhah has passed away. Now, at the end of his life, he has 12 sons and they're all surrounding him on his deathbed. And he's talking to them and he's got to make a decision because Leah and Rachel did not die in the same place and they were buried in two different places. And he has to now make a decision and say, where am I going to be buried with the one that I didn't want to be with? Or with the one that I thought was the perfect relationship for me. Let me read you what he decides. This is the last verse in your notes. It says this. Says that, and Jacob instructed them, soon I will die and join my ancestors. Bury me with my father and grandfather in the cave of the field of Ephron the Hittite. This is the cave in the field of Mechpala near Mamre in Canaan. That Abraham bought from Ephron the Hittite as a permanent burial site. There Abraham and his wife Sarah are buried. There Isaac and his wife Rebekah are buried. And there I buried Leah. At the end of his life, when he looks back and he says, after everything that's happened, and I woke up and I said, I married the wrong person, and then I tried to find the right person, and then she had expectations of me that somehow I couldn't meet, and then it caused me to marry somebody else, and then that triggered something else to be somebody else. Here's what he says at the very end of his life. I want to be married with the one that God gave me. I want to be married with Leah. And you say, well, why? Why would he be want to be married with Leah? Because Jacob knew that with Leah, that's where the blessing was. You see, we just read about four sons that Leah gave birth to. She ends up having six sons. And so Leah gives birth to these six sons. The number four that we read is, is a son by the name of Judah, whose name means praise. Well, see, Judah, interestingly enough, has a great, 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 great grandson whose name is David. And David is the greatest king that Israel has ever seen. 
He was the one who was the killer of giants. He was the one who was the singer of songs. And he becomes the benchmark by which every other king who's ever going to rule in Israel is, will be judged by. Because some have slain thousands, but David was the one who had slain tens of thousands. And yet here's what happens. David has a great, 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 great grandson who has a mother named Mary whose name is Jesus and who is the Savior of the world. And yet here's what takes place. Jacob looks on at the end of his life and he says, the one that I wanted all along was Rachel, but little did I know, the blessing was with Leah. You see, we can run from the relationship that we have and say, no, 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 I want, I want somebody else, I want something else because this isn't working out, because we're not soulmates, because we're incompatible, because we have irreconcilable differences, we have all that stuff, or here's what we can do. We can have the courage to stay because the relationship that we've been looking for is the one that we have. You see, finding someone else isn't going to solve it. No, 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 but we're, Pastor, we're incompatible. Don't you understand that? Do you know that like millions of dollars have been spent doing uh, scientific and psychological, uh, trying to find psychological and scientific data to support the existence of incompatibility? And none has ever been found. Why? Because incompatibility and irreconcilable differences were stuff that was made up by lawyers and judges to bring in some extra cash. That's all that it is. That's, you know, when I shared that statistic with you last week, and if you weren't here, we said that 52% of first marriages end in divorce, 67% of second marriages end in divorce, 75% of third marriages end in divorce. You think, well, what is that all about? Well, here's what happens is that if we won't have the courage to fight for our relationship, to, 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 to be the person, we mentioned this last week, it's not about finding Mr. Right or Mrs. Right, it's about being Mr. Right or Mrs. Right. And so if I won't fight for my first marriage, then I'll get into the second relationship. And if I was going to, I mean, I'm not, if I'm not going to fight harder than I do for the first one. And so then if that doesn't work out, then I'll just leave because it's a little easier the second time. And then I'll go find a third relationship to be in. And then if that doesn't work out, then I'll leave that one even easier. Because if we're not going to fight for the first one, we're certainly not going to fight for the third one. Because if we haven't dealt with the issues that we have, guess what? Whatever relationship we get into, we're there. And if we haven't gotten, we haven't dealt with the issues that we have in this unresolved conflict and the expectations that we have, and we haven't realized the blessings that God has given us, it's never going to work. You see, you didn't marry the wrong person. We simply have to be open to God transforming us if we make a decision that we want it to work out. And you know why I believe this so much? Listen, because it's my story. Um, I mentioned earlier that my wife and I have been married. We just celebrated 13 years of marriage. But I want you to know, a lot of people don't know, that about 18 months after we started dating, my wife and I almost broke up. Um, and, and the reason that we almost broke up and we started dating is because we just were constantly having conflict. We were just constantly arguing. Uh, we just couldn't, we, just, we couldn't go a day without getting into a, like a full-blown argument. And um, I remember one night we were talking on the phone, and I remember this so vividly. And uh, we were talking on the phone and we were having another one of our arguments. And one of us said, uh, maybe this just isn't working out. And maybe we just can't be together. And I remember, I remember that. And, I, and then I remember thinking when I heard that. And I had like this moment where I said, if I hang up the phone, I'm going to make the biggest mistake I've ever made in my life. And I am going to live to regret this. And at that moment, I, I, I stopped and I said, listen, I... 
am sorry and I will do whatever it takes to make it work. Now, here's the thing. Lots of people say that. And I had probably said that before. And when I said that, she said, all right, well, if you're serious about it, then there's a book that I want you to read because we don't know how to communicate. So we're going to read this book on communication together. And if you're really serious, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to work this out and we're going to learn to communicate. I wasn't a big reader back then. I am now, but I wasn't then. And I said, okay. And we committed to that. That was 16 years ago that we made that commitment. And here's the thing that's interesting is that I talked to a lot of singles and I talked to couples who maybe are, are struggling. And here's the thing that they say. They say, you know what I want is I want what you and Carrie have. You can carry, have a great marriage, and you laugh, and you have fun, and that's what I want. And it's very kind when they say that, and I'm always encouraged when they say that. But here's what I also know to be true, is that there was a period of time when if you would have looked at Carrie and I, someone would have said, and probably would have been right, to say, these two don't look like they're going to make it. These two don't like, look like they're, they look totally wrong for each other. You say, well, what changed? What changed was that there was a decision. And we were blessed to have become Christians about a year before that. We invited Jesus to come into our life and forgive us, and we're so grateful for that. And because of that, we had the, the ability to forgive. But here's what took place, is that we made a decision to work at making it work. You see, Jacob, at the end of his life, he realizes that the person that he said was the wrong person for him was the one who had the blessing all along. And here's what I know for most of us. We're not at that place. We're not at the end of our lives and the relationships are over and now we're able to look back and reflect. But we're in the place where we can actually do something about it right now. If we make a decision that says we're going to work to make it work, that happily ever after is possible, but nobody said it would be easy. And that it takes work for a marriage to work out. Let's pray together. And God, we do want to thank you We thank you for the fact that you don't leave us to figure this stuff out by ourselves. Instead, you've given us your word. You've given us your spirit. You've given us your example to be able to live by. And so we pray that you would help us for every couple, for every marriage that might be struggling to to survive. I pray right now, God, that you would help as we call out to you, that you would hear, respond, and act. And that maybe today would be the turning point in our relationships. In Jesus' name, amen.